welcome, 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 welcome. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. Amazing. Wonderful. Um, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. It means a lot. It's uh, Sometimes it's a struggle to uh, continue on, I must admit. No lies. But here we are, pushing forward, and um, I do appreciate everyone that uh, that, that listens. Um, does anyone out there have a hobby, like golf or electric trains or meth? I'm just kidding. Other than like podcasting or, or true crime, um, I feel like sometimes that's what I need is a hobby, but... I feel like this is a hobby because obviously it doesn't pay the bills, but I enjoy it, so that would be a, a hobby. But I want to break it up a little bit. I want to mention some of my favorite podcasts and favorite people of true crime. I want to give a shout out to Emily Nestor. I want to let her know that I enjoyed the podcast, I enjoy your work, and I know that uh, maybe she'd gotten some grief on the internet over um, the fact that some of the facts had changed, or just not the facts had changed, but as the podcast progressed, you know, it, the the theories and and um, and things behind it had had changed, and and that happens, and and. The obligation that she had was um, just to report what she knew, and she done that. And I feel like she got a bad deal only because I listened to about it. I think I listened to every episode of Mile Marker One Eighty One, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I think I think she done an amazing job. And if I'm not mistaken, one of the last episodes that dealt with the fact that it was an accident. She brought on Paul Holes, which is the most respected, honest, and all about, I mean, he is victim's advocate, and in my opinion, the smartest man on earth. So she got Paul Holes to come on and back up this theory. So I think that's very good and wise on, on your part, Emily, because I think that that gives, not only were you concerned about what people would think or say, but you brought on someone I feel like that is a pillar in the community to to back you up. And uh, I, I think you've done an amazing job. Uh, Melissa from Just the Tipsters, her and Mark, um, her husband, Mark, is the producer. Um, you all are, I want to tell you how amazing you guys are. And, you know, your podcast's amazing. And all your hard work and, and just your pure heart for the truth solved a cold case. I've seen that. That's amazing. Their podcast sparked new leads in a, in a cold case and actually... If I'm not mistaken, it led to an arrest. So, good job. Uh, 
just you all do an amazing job. Jim Ross, I know you don't listen to anything I've got. Uh, and Stone Cold Steve Austin, but thanks for the classics and the new stuff. Because I love listening to wrestling podcasts. I know. I'm crazy. Not really. I like it. Fuck it. I like it. Um, I want to talk about a little thing that's going on October the 2nd. Beach Creek Haunted Hay Rides. And, of course, non-haunted hay rides. Uh, as of right now, taking appointments. Don't necessarily have to do appointments, but I'd like to. Starting on Friday, October the 2nd. At 9 p.m. to 2 a.m., we've got haunted hay rides. Hay rides will leave out every 30 minutes. Scheduled for regular uh, hay rides will be Saturday, uh, starting at 10 a.m. until 7 p.m. And then haunted hay rides on Saturday will start at 9, run until 2 again. And then Sunday is the same as Saturday. We'll do a, um, a 10 to 7 for the regular hay rides, and then we'll do a 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. on haunted hay rides. $20 for Haunted Hayride uh, for an adult, $15 for uh, 12 and under. And I guess um, for the regular Hayrides, we're looking at um, 15 for an adult and uh, 10 for 12 and under and 5 if you can hold your child in your lap. Uh, you can text or call Jeremy at 423-754-8461 or email us at Beach Creek Haunted Hayrides at gmail.com. That's B E E C H C R E E K H A U N T E D H A Y R I D E S at gmail.com. You can find us at Facebook at Beach Creek Haunted Hayrides, Instagram at Beach underscore Creek underscore Haunted underscore Hayrides. Um, schedule your. Uh, if you're in the East Tennessee area, schedule your time and and um, come out and see us. Uh, we're going to try to do group discounts. Uh, special group times can be scheduled. Um, we're going to fire pits, s'mores, refreshments available. So come and uh, check that out. And now the last part of the business side of today's episode is, and I'm sorry to do it to you, Tell a couple of people about the podcast, please. See if we can get each person that listens now to get two more subscribers. Give us some five-star ratings on Apple or wherever you listen to the podcast. It's on about nine or ten different platforms. Give us a review if you got the time. Excuse me. To write us a review. I would appreciate it. Um, just thank you for listening. I know... Obviously, it must be a pain in the ass to give a rating because I don't have a great deal of, of listeners, but the amount of listeners and listens that I have compared to the amount of reviews and ratings I have is a big difference. But I'm not complaining. I do appreciate it. Um, tell people about us. Help us to grow. Help us to spread the word. Um, you can uh, donate to the show in the show link. Or show notes through Anchor is who we produce the podcast through. Um, you can leave us a voicemail. I, I play all the voicemails on the next episode. This is part two or three of the Jefferson Davis 8 or the Jennings 8 or uh, the murder in the bayou. Uh, I want to talk about the degrees of separation concerning the victims 
of the eight murders in the bayou, what what was a common person, place, or thing with, with the eight victims? What did they have in common? What were their connections to each other, to others in the, the community? Um, just how connected were the eight victims to each other? What did they have in common? And, and who or what connections did they have to corrupt law enforcement? Now, in the next episode, part three, I want to look at the corrupt law enforcement, uh, government officials, and the connections to Frankie Richard and the streets of Jennings. Um, and next week, also, we will uh, want to do the degrees, basically, separation of law enforcement to the Jefferson Davis Eight, and really look at what kind of men and women they had working in that department, and not only there, but surrounding departments, not just Jennings or Jefferson Davis Parish, but like Charles and others. So I just want to say God bless the victims of this tragic set of serial murders at the hands of a collective group of morally bankrupt pieces of shit. This is The Weekly Podcast. back thanks for listening again i can't say thanks enough thank you thank you thank you uh we're talking about uh and i put it in a three-part series uh, or three episodes the jefferson davis eight as i've heard it called the jennings eight and it's uh, some of the most of the information that i have obtained is out of the book i keep it in front of me murder in the bayou by ethan brown who killed the women known as the Jeff Davis Eight. Um, last week we done basically key, key figures in the story, um, and we done a timeline. Now, in this episode, I want to kind of focus on the, 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 and the title of the episode will be The Degrees of Separation Concerning the Victims of the Eight Murders in the Bayou, or the Jefferson Davis Eight, or the Jennings Eight. Um, what, and we'll break it down, you know, one victim at a time. So, um, I feel like that the connections between the victims to me, it's just to me, tell the whole story to me, what person, place or thing did they have in common? What domino fell that started this chain of murder? Was it the raid and killing of Crochet? And then covering up that killing with another killing and then covering up that killing because of the other killing because of a killing? And at what point did maybe corrupt law enforcement know, obviously, about the first few murders and then maybe just made it look like some of them were connected to the original victim because law enforcement knew the evidence of, of all the cases I mean who knows and we're going to dig into law enforcement or next week you know I feel like Frankie Richard was protected by several in power and they protected him as much as they could and obviously vice versa 
the streets had a hustle to protect. And I feel like the jail and the police department had a hustle they needed to protect. And what you have right in the middle of both of these hustles, <clears throat> you've got the victims of the Jefferson Davis 8 playing right in the middle. So I think they were screwed no matter which direction they went. Because on one side, they had law enforcement. They couldn't trust them. They were killing, possibly killing people. And then you had the streets with Frankie Richard and all his connections and other people. So they were in a bad position. And then take into consideration their drug addiction. And you may feel however you feel about drug addiction. They had a problem. They needed help. And maybe they didn't want it. Maybe they could have got it. I don't know. But you've got victim one. Loretta, now, I'm sorry if I mispronounce these names, but, sorry. Chasson, this is in May of 2005. It looks like Loretta had connections, and as I've jotted some of these down, I may end up reading some of these out of order, and it's not necessarily about timeline here. I will go in order of victim, but their connections, these are just people they had connections with. Now, victim one, Loretta Chasson, had connections to jail warden Terry Gullery. She was known to have sex with him inside her cell in the jail and was part of his sex ring that he ran inside and outside of that jail. We know Terry Gullery has connections to Frankie Richard. We know that Terry Gullery's ex-wife has connections to Frankie Richard and to Loretta Chasson through the informant program or whatever you want to call it she ran at the police station now we know that day Frankie Richard was seen with the victim together in a truck at the Phillips 66 and we know later Loretta was seen with Jermaine Stymie Washington Muggy Brown which is victim number four and Nico Gullery which is victim number eight at the Bordeaux Inn of I-10, exit 64. There's three, there's connections with victim one to victim four and victim eight, and we just got started. Now, Terry Gullery, now he's the jail warden. You'll see in next week's episode, he steps out of his bounds many times. Now, he is, it is reported, and it's a fact, that he shows up before anyone knows Loretta was even missing, or reported missing, he shows up, you know, where she'd been staying uh, with Barb the Sholto and telling her that Loretta's missing. This is odd. Uh, Loretta also had connections to Danny Barry. He was also a deputy or, de or a police officer and was known to be very devious in his sexual activity, to do drugs, and to have connections to several prostitutes, I don't want to say several had sex with a lot of people and done drugs. Now, victim number two is Ernestine Patterson. This is the only victim that didn't really have any connection to Frankie Richard. This is in June of 2005, just a month later. 
Uh, she was seen with Byron Chad Jones and Lawrence Nixon. Um, witnesses state that they killed Ernestine and were covered in her blood. Um, we know that Rosalind Brooks, Burrow, Burrow, was with the same two men and Muggy Brown, victim number five. And Muggy Brown is also cousin to Lawrence Nixon, who was arrested with Byron Chad Jones for killing Ernestine Patterson. They were also arrested for the rape of Miss Burrow. Now, Muggy Brown, victim number five, sold out Miss Burrow to Jarrell Mooney Palfrey for crack cocaine. Now, charges for the murder on these two men, Byron Chad Jones, Lawrence Nixon, on Ernestine Patterson, and the rape were eventually dropped. The charges, no one would testify, and there just wasn't enough evidence. Um, let's see. Victim. Well, I got a paper out of order. Hold on a second. I don't thought I did. Yeah, I did. I had one stuck together. Sorry. Now we know. Uh, let's let's stay with Ernestine Patterson. Uh, let's see the connection to Ernestine Patterson's murder weapon. Now this brings in the corrupt law enforcement. We'll talk about it more next week. Um, they knew who killed her. They were covered in blood. They knew where the murder weapon was. They never went and checked it. They never done forensic testing it. At their home, law enforcement didn't care. Now, Ernestine Patterson is really the only victim that is not intertwined in a lot of the other victims or the street, but she does have connections to at least one of the victims. Now, victim three was March of 2007. We've got a couple years here. We have Kristen Gary Lopez. She has direct connection to... Tracy Chasson. Tracy Chasson is the one that eventually comes out and says who killed her and what happened. She recants her testimony in the end. Tracy Chasson is cousins to victim number one, Loretta Chasson. Kristen Gary Lopez has connections to Frankie Richard. They're all partying at the Budget Inn. Frankie kicked um, Tracy and Kristen out for stealing. Frankie says they beg to come back, and he's give this old speech of how, oh, no, you can't come back, blah, blah. But Frankie Richard was no one to be fucked with. Now, Tracy Chasson testified that Frankie Richard and Hannah Connor and herself killed Kristen. Recanted, charges filed, charges dropped. Now, Kristen Gary Lopez murder has connections to a woman named Connie Seiler. Her truck was used to transport and dump Kristen's body, a Silverado. Now, we know 
that, um, sorry. We know that Warren Gary, a police officer, bought Connie Siler's truck from Frankie Richard. Warren Gary then sold the truck for double profit, destroying any evidence possibly might be in the truck. Now, this murder also has a connection to a gentleman named, sorry, a gentleman named Michael, and I don't know if I pronounced this right, Prudhomme, Prudhomme, Michael Prudhomme was seen washing this truck at Ray's car wash. Now, victim number four in May of 07 is Whitney DuBose. We know Whitney DuBose has connections to Alvin Bootsy Lewis. She dated him. Lewis actually witnessed the Leonard Crochet murder where the police raided his home, raided, raided a home and killed him. Uh, we know that uh, uh, Alvin Bootsy Lewis, his brother, was married to victim number one, Loretta Chasson. We know that Whitney DuBose was seen arguing with Frankie Richard. We know that Jamie Trahan, very close to Frankie Richard, said he discovered the body, and his story is wrong. Couldn't see the body from where he said. Um, it's believed that Frankie killed Whitney DuBose, and, and Jamie Trohan was part of it. Um, he passed a bad check to the DuBose family for 2500 supposedly help him to pay, help them pay for the funeral. Uh, we know that she had connections to, oh, I'm sorry. Michael Prothome. And witnesses say that Frankie Richard used Hannah Connors, uh, which was his niece, direct TV van to dump Whitney DeBose body. She did work for DirecTV and had a van. It was uh, also stated that Michael Prudhomme washed this van as well. And victim three, the connection, uh, I missed one, victim three, Kristen Gary Lopez, has a connection to Michael Prudhomme because he was the one that was found Washing Connie Siler's truck, the one believed to care, have carried Kristen's body, when he was washing this truck, he was with a woman by the name of Jessica Gullery, which is Nicole Gullery's sister, victim number eight. Victim number five is Muggy Brown. She is a witness to the death of victim number two, Ernestine Patterson. She is cousins to Lawrence Nixon, the one accused of killing Ernestine Patterson. She was an informant for Terry Gullery and Paula Gullery, the ex-wife. Paula also has connections to the 98 death of an informant, Sheila Como. I cannot pronounce these French names, whatever. Um... Muggy Brown, victim number five, was close to Sheila, the, the informants uh, killed in 98, to Marie Cremeau, that's uh, Sheila's sister-in-law. Now, Muggy's boyfriend, 
is Jermaine Stymie Washington. And it is stated that they were the ones to have found Loretta's body first, victim number one. And it was also stated that victim, obviously, number three was seen. I, got, I don't want to say that. So we know that Muggy Brown dated Jermaine Stymie Washington. And if we, let's just look back so we can know. And Jermaine Stymie Washington was seen with Loretta Chasson the day she went missing with Muggy Brown and Nicole Gullery. And I said victim number four. Uh, and when I said Loretta Chasson, Muggy Brown's victim number five. Um, now, like Ernestine Patterson, she, Ernestine Patterson was cut with and killed with a knife. The others, they couldn't tell, but possible strangulation. Um, so was Muggy Brown. She was cut with a knife, just like Ernestine Patterson, victim number two. And we know Muggy Brown and Ernestine Patterson had a lot of connection together. Uh, the body was found by her handler, the one that handled her as an informant, Michael Janisis, with the police department. And that's odd. So you've got a lot of connections between Muggy Brown, Ernestine Patterson. You've got a lot of connection between uh, Loretta, Kristen, Gary Lopez, Whitney DuBose, and then we go into victim number six, Crystal Benoit Zeno, August of 2008. She was roommates with Brittany Gary, will be victim number seven, and she is the cousin to victim number four, Kristen Gary Lopez. She's been heard, seen talking aloud about the murders at a party. She was attacked by a gentleman named Ken Drake. Now, when she gets attacked by Ken Drake, she calls Terry Gallery. And then Crystal seeks refuge with Frankie Richard. So, Crystal knew Kristen number four, Loretta number one, Ernestine number two, Muggy number five. Crystal also told Brittany, victim number seven, her roommate, that she knew who killed Muggy Brown, victim number five. They all partied at Billy Connors, which is Frankie Rashad's brother. And she called Terry Gallery, and it's unclear what they talked about, but that's the last time anyone talked to her. Uh, she was picked up by a couple of Frankie Richard's men for some reason. Tattoo, Eugene Dog Ivory, and I don't think I've got the name to the last gentleman. Now, where they found Crystal's, Ben Wazino's body, these three gentlemen thought that they were leaving the scene and, and was not seen by anyone. But Tattoo and Eugene Dog Ivory were seen leaving the murder scene by Russell Carrier. Now, Russell Carrier is the brother to Barb DeShoto. She was the roommate and friend to Loretta Chasson, victim number one. Terry Gullery, once again, goes to the victim's family to make 
make the identifying remarks before any identification has even been made and made strange comments to the family. Now, we've got victim number seven is Brittany Gary. That's in November of eight, 2008. We know that she was roommates to victim number six, Crystal Benoisino. She was cousins to uh, Kristen Gary Lopez, victim number four. She knew victim number three, Whitney DuBose, and taunted Frankie Richard about killing Whitney DuBose. She knew Frankie Richard well. She was real close to Billy Connor, Frankie Richard's brother. Her mother and family were real close to them. She was real close to Hannah Connor, the niece of Frankie Richard, who was also arrested with Frankie Richard for Kristen Gary's death. Uh, Hannah Connor's phone number was actually on the missing person flyers for Brittany Gary. She was last seen at the Family Dollar leaving, getting minutes for her cell phone, and it was possible that she was picked up by Danny Barry, one of the dirty cops in town. She was the youngest victim. She might have been collateral damage. She, she lived the lifestyle, but was more teenager than the others. Um... Now we go to victim number eight, Nico Gullery, August of 2009. Now Michael Prudhomme was her boyfriend. Michael Prudhomme was the gentleman that supposedly got Frankie Richard the formaldehyde. And he was also the one known to clean the truck of Connie Silers that hauled Kristen Gary Lopez victim number four and was also sold to Frankie Richard and then also sold to Warren Gary, the police officer. When he was, when Michael Prudhomme this is Nicole Gullery, victim number eight's boyfriend, was cleaning the trucks and vans. He was seen doing so with Nicole's sister, Jessica. Um, now, it, it's obviously this is the one Nicole Gullery that was with. She witnessed uh, the death of Loretta with Muggy Brown. Victim number five, and was known to have sex with Terry Gullery and involved in his sex ring. Um, she is cousins with Terry Gullery, which makes it even more odd. Um, she was seen in a van that day with Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels is the father to Ernestine Patterson, victim number two. And she was the very first victim found outside of the Jefferson Davis Parish. I'll be right back. Now, those are the eight victims, the Jefferson Davis eight, the Jennings eight, murder in the bayou, victims. The eight victims. Um, there were other murders, and a total of 19, like we spoke of last week, um, and a lot of other people that were intertwined in these eight victims' lives that end up being killed, like um, um, Bird Dog, I get his name, Eugene, I'm sorry, uh, July of 2007, Harvey Bird Dog Burley, who witnessed 
the killing to, of Leonard Crochet, was stabbed to death. Um, and we'll go over some of those next week when we talk about law enforcement because I believe these were some of the men, I believe possibly law enforcement were involved in some of the killings. I believe that street hustlers were involved in some of the killings, but I also believe that what street hustlers, I believe law enforcement cleaned up that mess. If they had someone do, say, murder one of the victims, the girls, then eventually they got killed as well. Um, I just want to look at some of the victim data and see some of the same characteristics uh, in toxicology, clothing, location, things like that. And uh, we'll wrap this episode up. And next week we'll look at the connections of law enforcement to the streets of Jennings, Jennings and to the victims. Loretta Chasson is victim number one, found Friday, May 20th, 2005. Um, her date of death is estimated at May 15th, 2005. She was found off Highway 1126, the Grand Marnaz Canal. She was found in blue jeans, blue panties, short, sleeve white, pullover blouse. The toxicology report shows ETOH at 0.16, cocaine, Zoloft, Selexa. Um, under undetermined manner of death, mixed drug intoxication, presence of blood under scalp, no evidence of significant injuries or natural disease. So that's going to look like strangulation or asphyxia. Ernestine Patterson, Friday, June 18, 2005. Uh, date of death estimated at June 16, 2005. She was located Highway 102, the Aguillard Canal. She was in blue jean shorts. Toxicology shows ETOH.08, cocaine. Homicide, three wounds to the neck, three cuts across front of the neck, bruises on left hand, post-mortem injury from marine predators, no evidence of other significant injuries or natural disease. She was cut. Victim three, Kristen Gary Lopez, Sunday, March 18, 2007. Date of death is March 6, 2007. Location of bodies, Highway 99, the Pettigene Canal. She was found in white socks on or white sock on right foot, bearing red hearts, yellow metal ring on finger. Her ETOH was 0.06, cocaine, and soma. Manner of death are determined. Extensive postmortem injury caused by marine predator. No evidence of significant injury or natural disease. Strangulation. Whitney Dubose, Saturday, May 12, 2007. Possibly date of death, May 11, 2007. She was found near the intersection of Earl Duhon and Bobby Rhodes on roads near crawfish ponds. She was found in brown elastic band and white elastic band on right wrist. Earring found on ground at crime scene. So she was nude. Her ETOH was 0.42, cocaine, and Xanax. Undetermined manner of death, mixed drug intoxication, nonspecific bruises on left and right lower extremities. No evidence of significant injury or natural disease. Strangulation. Now we move to victim number five, Monkey Brown. Thursday, May 29, 2008. Date of death, possibly May 27, 2008. She was found Racka Road, east of Highway 102. She was found in peach tank top with white discoloration around left hip. Blue denim shorts with white discoloration around left hip. 
purple brassiere, purple panties, ankle bracelet with color, color beads. So did she get some form of bleach? Oh, no bleach was poured on her, I bet. Hmm. Her ETOH was 0.04, cocaine, multiple incised wounds to the head and neck, three cuts behind right ear, approximately seven cuts across the front of the neck, no evidence of significant significant other injuries or natural causes. She was cut. She has the most connection to victim number two, Ernestine Patterson, who was also cut. That is the same person there. I feel like they killed those two girls. Now, uh, Crystal Shea Benoazino is um, victim number six. Date found Thursday, September the 11th, 2008. That is today. Today is September the 11th. Wow. Um, date of death is unknown. She was found on Lacquer Road, one mile south of Highway 1126. Now that is off of the same highway that Lorraine, uh, Loretta Chasson, Highway 1126, the Grand Morning probably It's probably not close. And it may be. I haven't looked. Um, but that, that road is off Highway 126. No, no clothing or jewelry. She was totally nude. Toxicology is unknown. Findings is homicide. So we know the least about her for some reason. And I'm assuming it is because she was totally skeletonized, I believe. Because the date of death is unknown. Um, Brittany Gary, victim number 7, Saturday, November 15, 2008. Uh, date of death estimated at November 4, 2008. She was found at Keystone Road, south south of Highway 1126. Must be a popular road down through there. No clothing, gray beaded bracelet on right ankle. Her ETOH was .03 cocaine. Manner of death, asphyxia, mixed drug intoxication. No evidence of other significant injury or natural disease. So, there you go. And the last victim, Nicole Gullery. Uh, Wednesday, August 19, 2009. Date of death. Estimated at August 17, 2009. She was found off of I-10 between mile marker 73 and 74 in the Acadia Parish. The only victim not found in the Jefferson Davis Parish. She was partially clothed and she had tramadol, cocaine, and alcohol in her system. Now her manner of death was asphyxia, post-mortem cuts on left face, left eyebrow, and left clavicle. Mixed drug intoxication possible sperm and vagina did they test for dna i've heard nothing about that i'm sure they have a lot of evidence they're holding close to the vest and i hope so but i do know and we will talk more about this next week the law enforcement in this area was corrupt as it gets i mean they were worse than the dealers themselves i would have rather been around the dealers as the police officers in this area this story, I don't think it has a why. It, 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 its roots go deep, but its roots only go deep in a small area. So we're talking about an area, a small area, Jennings, Jefferson Davis Parish, whatever. But we're talking about roots of corruption that go so deep. I think it involves more than, than one or two people. This is not a serial killer, but it is definitely serial murder. 
And like I said in the opening, it's at the hands of morally bankrupt pieces of shit. But next week, we're going to talk about the connections or the degrees of separation uh, between law enforcement, the street players, the street hustlers and Jennings, to the victims. And um, hopefully one day the families will have answers to what happened. This is the Weekly Podcast. Thank you.